0: Alright, we are live. Well, we're not live, but it may as well be because this is a friggin' national holiday in our minds. Pat, we've been waiting for this episode all season long. We even had to fast-track a couple recordings because of just how painful this season has been. But it has all been worth it to get up to here, Pat, because not only do we get the titular Battle of Hard Home, as we are covering Season 5, Episode 8, Hard Hardhome, but... You've been hyping it up all season, and we finally got it. It's time for Oysters, Clams, and Cockles. It's hard home time, people. We're jumping right into it. Sorry, Pat, wow, I didn't mean to see wow. your... I didn't mean the under there. I'm sorry, Ooh. but I was just you, you don't understand. The energy Yo, that I have been I... lacking from this show for the last couple of episodes, I had to like kind of ambl like like quadruplify it for this episode. Yeah, because-
1: I, I think the Talking TV family, you know, here that's Talking Thrones with us <laughs> is going to believe uh, that <laughs> that's a hard act to follow, your introduction here. Hey, man, um, look. You know, I, I guess you took it home, uh, so to speak, in this introduction. So to speak, uh, yeah, introduction. yeah.
0: essentially, yeah. People, like I said, we've been hyping it up this entire season. We all know this is the point where the show drops off except for the few moments. We're in it for the moments at this point, not the moments between the moments which is what we were in it for with the first four seasons. And, oh, man, this episode is so crazy crucially important to like to me this episode is what sets up the rest of the show as far as where it goes from here on out like the because to me like Miguel Sapache directed the last episode, obviously, but this is kind of where, like, you start to realize, oh, whoa, Game of Thrones just hit, like, a whole new level as far as the battle sequence goes. Because what's insane to me as well is the fact that you think a battle sequence that wasn't even in the books, it was only hinted at in the books of being, like, this epic disaster that the Wildlings just barely escaped from by the seat of their pants, you know, before Jon sends Tormund out to go and rescue them. And here you actually see it up front and in person and Holy fuck! Do they deliver on that action spectacle?
1: Jeez, you're just uh, bopping in there with the explosives right away. But uh, of course, of course, hard man. Yeah, I think the fact is, this is the moment in any sci-fi, you know, and fantasy show where you've been building up the bad guy. You've seen some teases of what they are. But this is when the shoe drops. And this is a common thing in that type of literature or that type of movie or TV show. The shoe drops when you fully understand what the enemy is or what that creepy, crazy thing is. And here it is hard home. We finally know what the Night King is capable of. John is crying and you know he needs adam sandler on that boat to basically <laughs> grab some water and put it on his pants because dude he is in total is shock and total fear
0: his pants right there i'm sorry the, the look on john's face as the night game i'm sorry like do you get has there ever been a more gangster ending to an episode of television like I'm, I'm i'm really i've been trying i've been scraping the recesses of my brain i truly don't think there is a more epically badass way of an ending for a TV show, then the Night King just slowly raising his hands and all of it, like all those corpses. It was like the beach is littered with corpses of all the wildlings that they just like decimated. And they all just like slowly are twitching and then sit up. And the look on I'm like, ugh. Oh. I'm gonna save it because we gotta save like Hard Home for like the end of this episode because I don't want to just gush about Hard Home for the first like 20 minutes, and then we have the rest of the episode to cover. We're just like, oh no. Um basically. <laughs> The way that I can best describe the first half of this episode is the first half of this episode is kind of just like tiding us over moments. Like there's not really a whole lot of important stuff that happened in this episode aside from hard home. But what they do is they kind of continue with, uh, you know, all the stuff that we got from last episode because we got a decent amount more of important moments last episode than I kind of gave it credit for. You know, Tyrion obviously meeting with Daenerys, Cersei finally being arrested, um, you know, the, um, what's it called, Theon portraying Sansa to Ramsay. Um What's it called? Uh, all, all of that stuff we got in the last episode. And so we kind of like, um, you know, pick up with those characters in it, but it's more so just like kind of like in the middle before we like kind of see the resolution of all those storylines within the next two episodes. But first, like I said, this is a special momentous episode for two reasons, not just hard home, you know? So when naturally <laughs> Yo, we listen. have to kick it off
1: Listen, oh man, I I, I totally <laughs> always forget when this line debuts, and I guess now that I've been hyping it up for like a season or two, or or whatever it is, I forgot when I started complaining about this. But uh, the oysters, cockles, the labs, and all all, all all that stuff. Um, yeah, I I totally did not know it debuted at the beginning of this episode, and you know, it, besides the the fact that hard home takes up half the episode, I I think because that's the fact they they want to focus on that battle sequence we get some of the most concise specific writing that this season has had right here in the episode because they got to have everything tight everything's got to make sense and you know we get to the you know halfway point with oh, the beautiful segue when Ollie speaks to Sam and then we get our action sequence which is just quite beautiful yeah. and- um but hey listen Arya you know she's, she's basically, got a
0: assignment she's finally ready
1: yeah. so she's clearly wasn't here last episode um, you know the last time we saw her she was trying to play the name of games um, you know started to understand the base concept and now they have her sort of on a mission. she's gotten a job you know selling these clams and oysters and all that stuff and effectively she's out there navigating the streets and being taught how to be nobody
0: exactly and to me it's funny because this is a sequence that I kind of always took for granted the first time I watched this mostly because I'm just we, we spent so much time in the house of black and white and, and for the longest time I'm like okay cool we, we got like the cool visual imagery we got the cool like uh, you know beginning of, the, of, of of the of the Batman of, of of the Batman with the League of Shadows training we got like kind of you know the poison pool and everything but I'm like where, where is this going and this is the scene that really first clues us in specifically with the target that Jakken, uh, you know sets for Aria which is of course you know this crooked merchant who screws over his customers on a daily Basis, you know, this and it all of a sudden kind of gives a lot of context to the faceless men, which is where the faceless men kind of erupted. Where the faceless men were founded by escaped slaves who then basically went and kind of carried out almost like these underground missions in order to kind of help the more downtrodden and, um, you know, and lower classes within Bravo. So essentially, the faceless men kind of and eventually that ended up spreading out, you know, amongst, um, Amongst the free cities and and kind of all across the world, and so you, what you end up kind of getting is this almost like underground, essentially vigil anti network as well, where they don't necessarily take payment, but it's almost kind of like whatever justice needs to be done, they're kind of there in order to handle it, and that's kind of what hammers the point home here as far as where Arya's is telling Jacken about all the stuff that this guy's doing, and he's like, okay, so what did the girl see? And he's like, yeah, he cheats his clients, and she's like, and he's like, well, it's time for him to receive a gift from the many-faced God.
1: So, Dom, you're talking about uh, Batman and the vigilante, so if Arya had just said, I am vengeance, she would have been okay at the exactly. beginning of Exactly. It would have
0: all worked. She's like, look, I am vengeance, you know, and, that, and that, that's all vengeance, you know, everyone. Yeah, just, I guess I'm watching it, a
1: little it, too it, much HBO Max. As
0: Look, look if anything, that, that's what made me even more surprised when she got punished for killing Maren Trey because I mean, she should have been like, man, if you saw the shit that this guy did, you know?
1: But, yeah, uh, you know, hey, listen, uh, I think this storyline, you know, again, it's short it's concise, and it shows you that she's learning and she's figuring things out and now she has more responsibilities and she's like, you know, deeper into uh, the whole, you know, uh, spy network or, or whatever you want to call it. The the whole missions, um, you know, and the fact is now, uh, you know, she's telling the story about what she's been doing these last few days and gets slapped on the wrist and told, well, now tomorrow you're going to take a new route and you're going to go this other direction. And... She's like, why, you know, what am I going to find? And, you know, he's like, you got to figure that out. You know, you're just set in that direction. uh, And when you see it, you'll see it. And for the most part, you know, we get to the dock and she's selling all these clams and and whatnot. And, um, yeah, it's she overhears sort of the uh the dirty deeds so to speak that the you know uh, dock worker or w- the guy that's in charge of the insurance scam or whatever the hell it is right um you know basically is not going to al- allow this man uh to get the money to his wife and kid and you know that's that's one of those things he, she realizes um that there's something foul going on here and that's likely her mission and and we don't get to see anything else you know we just really get to see her Understand what she has found, and that's going to come into play at a future time.
0: And it's interesting too how the faceless men also kind of use the, you know, the, the, the selecting of targets almost, almost as like, you know, an observation tactic in order to see whether, as like a, as like a test as to whether Arya can like identify the reason why this man is being selected, you know, to be, you know, sacrificed to the many-phase goddess sensors. That was, that was a, again, a cool little tidbit. Again, it's like a, a lot of storylines throughout, you know, these next two seasons that I originally, you know, gave a lot of flack for. And now I'm realizing I'm like, no, so a, a few of the storylines, oh, the setup is actually pretty good. It's just a payoff of what comes out after the fact, you know like um you know the aria storyline the Tyrion storyline all those that just doesn't hold up as well
1: yeah um, as we get into the sixth and seventh season we're going to realize like you know the, the showrunners here are just like oh man we kind of have lingered a little too long in this storyline let's uh ride our oh, way t- out t- of t- it. time like, to wrap it up you know yeah exactly and and so the payoff just sort of becomes you know whatever it is to get them out of uh the circumstance and you know with aria you know we could talk about it all day like at the end you never really, there's it's not conclusive whether, you know, um, Arya survives or she's killed and just, you know, her, her body's now, you know, part of uh, the Many-Faced Gods' uh, tricks. And, you know, later on in the seasons, you know, when she's back in Winterfell, back dealing with Sansa, even in with the, the Long Night, um, you know, we're led to believe that she actually did win that fight. But it's, it's almost like, in retrospect, it's like that mystery of, of what happened to Arya. Is she the same person? You know, it's we don't really realize it until much later on, and um, you know, I think that kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. For yeah, sure.
0: they do that with both Aria and with Bran as well. And I i don't know if that was an attempt by the showrunners in order to potentially cap- capitalize on what it seems like Martin had as a future for a decent amount of those characters. Like, because in the books, obviously, it's known that in addition to Bran, both Aria and John are wargs as well, so there's a strong hint that the two of them at one point, you know, obviously John has already had his, but that the two of them were going to have two near-death experiences that would force them to war into their respective direwolves, and at that point in the books, those are the three characters who were the only three that still had their direwolves alive as well, so that would kind of provide the opportunity for them to bring Nymeria back in, and then for, for them to bring Ghost back in as well. There was a, another theory, I believe, that it, that the way that John was going to come back to life, where he was going to war into Ghost, right, as he died, and then potentially come back as like a half-man, half-wolf thing kind of thing, I don't know, like I said, it's a lot of like I said, it's a lot of mystery. It's a lot of uh, magic stuff that just the showrunners just didn't seem that interested in really diving deeper into and pursuing. But they're definitely the more and more that kind of we explore where the characters end up going after the fact, it definitely seems that like the seeds were there, just not unfortunately, you know, I feel like carried out to their full potential. Now let's cut over to Marine. So we get the payoff from last episode. Uh Daenerys has officially met Tyrion. She's now meeting with her and Jorah in the uh in the Great Hall. And I don't know. Yeah, what, how, what you, how many this?
1: how many chambers does Daenerys have? Because I don't know. You, usually, well, I this was the Daenerys same is on the.
0: Well, that's the thing. I'm assuming it's the same one, just shot from a different angle. They shoot this from the right, where they almost always shoot it from the left. So
1: yeah, it's it's very disorienting because they they usually choose to Perhaps have it in the other direction. But... well, maybe. But it, it, you're almost like, is this even in the same space, or is this a? the second throne room like Jorah's not good to bring to the main throne room we got to bring him to the second throne room you know um you know it's it's I don't know it's one of those things it was kind of jarring to me and that's all I could think about during this sequence and you know I'm just like really why is it shot from this angle but you know at the end of the day the sequence is all about Tyrion and you know just going back and forth with Daenerys you know uh she says something and then he says something snarky and you know they're just going back and forth uh, playing off of each other's f- last phrase and they're kind of walking each other into a corner each time and Tyrion eventually gets caught and you know he starts telling a story about like his you know whatever um, you know and it's it's one of those things where you could see that both uh, Daenerys and Tyrion uh, have a way with words and you know, they, they basically playing off each other and, and trying to, you know, trade barbs and feel each other out. And, uh, you know, it's it's really one of those crafty scenes. It's like the writing that you wanted to see the rest of the season emerges like here in this episode, you know, short, concise, uh, right on the money, smart. You know, everything about it is really backs up the characters that we want to see
0: Yeah, the thing that I'll say is that I I love how this episode kind of brings back a little bit what it is that we loved about Tyrion in the first place, which is, again, he is smart, he is intelligent, he is able to kind of, play all you know with these snarks and quips because he knows that he can always kind of talk himself out of the situation and kind of where he dances Daenerys into with this idea of you know okay you under you sort of kind of understand how to rule here in Marine, but that doesn't mean that you're going to know what to do in Westeros and if you are still intent on going to Westeros and you don't want to stay here as you know as is pretty evident then you you got to you got to have someone in your corner who is going to be able to back you. You know, when he uh, explains, it's like this, uh, he's like th- this whole dream that everyone has been singing to you of the common people. You have to understand it's, it's a good idea, it's a good dream, but you have to understand the common people are not who win wars. The high lords and soldiers and armies, they're who win wars, you know? And so if you need that, you're going to need the backing of a great house. And unfortunately, for right now, all, all the great houses are either locked in battle or will absolutely not support you, you know? And so she brings up, obviously, again, kind of the obvious reference to being the Mad Queen, where she's like, "Oh, you know, I'm, you know, they're all part of the wheel. Uh, you know, I'm gonna break the wheel." You know, hinting at what comes later. But it's 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 interesting because what what it is is it's kind of Daenerys being held to task is what it is because Daenerys is somebody who, for the most part, has kind of operated with impunity for the last couple of seasons. And like I said, she's had that kind of self righteous goal of, you know, just freeing everyone, freeing the downtrodden from being conquered and everything, but she's never really had any kind of long-term plans for what comes after that, if anything, that's kind of part of her downfall near the end. And Tyrion is kind of the first person to really put that in perspective for her and make her realize, yeah, you want to know why nothing has kind of been working out for you? This is why, because you have to take all of these other factors into consideration besides just, you know, free the downtrodden, you know? And I got to say, kind of her last proclamation of, of, um, you know, I'm going to break the wheel. It doesn't necessarily sound like she's going to listen to him. But, it, but again, that, that's more of a line uh, for... That, that's more of a setup for later on, is what I should say. But, uh, yeah,
1: I don't yeah, know. Yeah, listen, just... Jora gets screwed. That's yes. one thing that we need to talk ah, about. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it, it's the first... The thing that wins her over, kind of, in the, the throne room is, hey, what would you advise me do with this betrayer, And Tyrion... You know plays both sides he's like you know he's very devoted and you know a queen that you know gets rid of someone that's devoted is not worthy of devotion and so he's playing a a lot of word games um, you know about what she should be doing and why she um, you know should not really fear Jorah and you know then he also plays the mid ground he's like well he did betray you and he didn't really you know step in and when he had the opportunity trust you. And so therefore, you know, he can't be by your side. And you know, he's putting out a logic there that makes sense to the Daenerys, you know, playing into like her anger at him and sort of, you know, sweeping him under the rug and out of the picture. And I don't think Tyrion does this necessarily maliciously, but he reads the room, he plays the room really well. And it ends up with Jorah getting the boot once again. And immediately he goes immediately to the Immediately goes pits. back to the
0: slaver and is like, yeah, exactly.
1: Because you know, he wants to be in the presence of the queen. And she, you know, he knows that if he wins, and he's likely to win because of the, the quality of the, the fighting, he's going to be in her presence. And that's all he can think of. Uh, that's all he wants and that's going to ultimately be the case and you know he's still in some way trying to win back her her faith but you know, we'll see how it goes. You know, we have, you know, basically next episode, right? Yeah. Um, you know, that we'll see how this storyline pays off. Yeah, it's off.
0: next episode and then he's only around for the first half of season six before he's ultimately brought back just to, you know, be cured of grayscale and then go off to die. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so yeah. two quick scenes, uh, two quick sequences, um, uh, what's it called, that take place in King's Landing, Winterfell. There's really not too much of substance that happens in either of these scenes. It's more so just information being revealed is what it is. First, King's Landing, Cersei um, being still in prison, still in that garbage looking you know smock that they've put her in oh, um, confess confess <laughs> except but... to Unella, uh rebecca oh, from Ted lasso still with the confession yeah, it, tyburn it, shows up gives her some information
1: yeah i don't know man this 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 whole storyline <laughs> is
0: something else this is another storyline that you're gonna love so much going forward
1: listen i i again i love the payoffs of this storyline you know when uh basically cersei blows them all up and you know uh, tomlin does his thing yeah. in response and but getting the fa- there is painful. yeah it's it's just it's, you know obviously i said this episode is like well written and you know again short and concise they get in they show what trouble she's in you know obviously she's able to speak with uh, uh kai burn um you know and, and you know it's her her son Tomlin is not eating he won't basically accept food trays and being uh, useless as per usual. Yeah, exactly. And and so there is, you know, short and concise and, and to the point information here that we need to know about the storyline. They don't really dwindle. They're still setting up the whole, you know, shame sequence, uh, which comes in the uh, finale of this season, I believe. Um, you know, so the the fact is, you know, we're we're moving that storyline along. We're not lingering on it. You know, I might not necessarily like that storyline at this point. Uh, i think it gets better after the shame walk and but like you know hey it, it's it's basically short sweet we're out of the way
0: yeah it's it's still once again just Cersei you know suffering the consequences of her very very short-sighted actions and just being recapped on certain things that are happening outside of her jail cell then we move on to Winterfell uh like I said another very very quick two scenes uh Th- San- you know Sansa kind of unintentionally forcing Theon to confess about uh um, you know the truth behind uh, Brandon Rickon's supposed murder oh and yeah potentially... she's
1: finally like displacing her anger and right. going full throttle <laughs> about
0: freaking time too yeah you know? like
1: like I feel like this should have Happened last episode where you know, Should of, a
0: couple episodes ago, if you ask, yeah. Me.
1: Like, what's her tolerance for all this crap that's happened to her? Like, obviously, she yeah. had there's, Joffrey, there's
0: gotta be a threshold somewhere because she, because ever since Littlefinger brought her to Winterfell, it's just been a downward spiral for her,
1: yeah. But this is the point uh, the storyline is just lackluster because you know, she deals with Joffrey and his BS for the entire like half of the series, and then you know, she finally escapes that. She's learning from Littlefinger, gets put in this scenario, and then she's, you know, basically falls right back into being a victim. And, you know, it's not until like two, three episodes later now that she's finally like going up to Reek and just putting him in his place. Um, You don't think that would have happened like immediately? Like why? Why? When Reek came in with the meal last episode, she was like, oh, I trust you with this candle.
0: She's yeah, going to trust she, him with the candle then. If, if anything, it would have made more sense if those scenes were reversed, you know? It would have made exactly, way more sense if she's th- going to trust him with the candle after he reveals that he is not the murderer that everyone thinks he is, and then he goes and screws her yeah, over. Because, that would have way more sense.
1: Yeah, because then she's, you know, sh- basically putting a foot forward, you know, even though it's, it's Reek slash Theon at this point, and, you know, whatever she does to him, it, it's definitely like she can't do anything to Ramsay at this point but she can put it on to Reek. And, you know, it's showing that she's angry, that she's taking measures, uh, that she is really, you know, starting to put that anger outward. And, you know, it would have made total sense to do that last week and then trust him with the candle after he told about, you know, Reek on and whatnot. And then it would have been like an ultimate betrayal. Like, damn, you've done me dirty again, even though, like, I thought we were doing this. Um, You know, so I I think that's one of those things where, um, you know, just slightly better, you know, plotting would have made the storyline go a long way. Uh, But again, you know, here in this episode is short and sweet. We'd like to see Sansa uh, basically pushing back, Um, you know, hopefully, you know, I think her storyline from this point on is her just starting to get, you know, more of a backbone, so to speak, and push back and not let the world just always make her a victim and you know, that's really what we want to see from this character. You know, it kind of uh, Sucks that they took her back and you know down uh, a little bit to to deal with the whole Ramsey storyline and, and put her in that situation um, But you know, we're starting to see her character that she's gonna be for the rest of the series emerge and that's a good thing
0: Absolutely. Yeah, so now um let's, and then of, of course a quick check in with roos and ramsey they're pretty much just planning for more planning for stannis's pending attack and the biggest thing that's set up here is you know ramsey kind of saying like we don't really need an army we just need to cripple them and kind of put a halt to them before they get a chance to actually attack which is where is like i don't need a whole ass army i just need 20 good men get in there cripple their forces um you know cripple half their forces before they get a chance to attack that way when they attack you know they'll be like um what, what's it called you know they, they'll be i'm trying to think of a good metaphor here but they'll essentially be attacking with like one leg chopped off you know it's like they're they're attacking um at a disadvantage essentially that way we can have the advantage completely surround them and completely take them out which as we see is what happens here so now let's get to it we stop it at the wall first uh ollie visits sam right before uh you know right as Gilly's healing him and voices his misgivings once again continuation poor ollie poor poor (laughs) <laughs> or Ollie. Ali. The kid cannot catch a break. He's like, he's once again trying to. And also, I will say, this is a little bit on Sam as well, where the one thing, and like I said, I'm not trying to justify Ali in any way, shape or form. But if there's one thing that I can say, it's that. I don't think that John and Sam have done a particularly good job of explaining to him the idea of the bigger picture. Now, granted, in the instance, I understand he's an illiterate kid from some random village. He didn't grow up in a castle. He doesn't really understand the way that he is literally one of the common folk. He doesn't really understand the greater, grander scheme of things uh, the way that, say, John and Sam do. But the one thing I will say is that in my mind, there is a way to explain to this kid, you know kind of it's like look i understand that the wildlings specifically the one that john went with you know they participated in the killing of your village but you know to, like and i guess it goes into the writing as well he's like look there is like imagine every village that you know just like yours you know like hundreds of villages just like yours and imagine all of them dead but worse than dead as these essentially living corpses that are just unstoppable just killing Everyone, you know, look to, in, in my obviously, again, it's really difficult to explain that to somebody who hasn't in, in that world who hasn't seen the army did But in my mind, there is a better way to explain that than the job that John and Sam do of explaining to him. And they, they yeah. just don't.
1: Listen, I, I think uh, both John and Sam wish they had YouTube to sit this kid down in front yeah, of and right. be like, "Look at these zombies!" <laughs> oh man, this, this is the cell phone footage I feel like that we so see. So many problems like, in, a, in, in
0: Westeros would be solved if they had YouTube.
1: Yeah, listen, you know, it's one of those things where Ali uh, is not going to be educated anytime soon. He's he's basically just a steward, right? right. You know, He's kind of sweeping the floors. He's you know making meals and and whatever kids do at the wall. And and the fact is, he's not really going to progress. He's going to listen to, uh, you know, these negative, pessimistic attitudes that exist. Because you know, he at at the end of the day, his family was murdered. They were farmers. Uh, Tormin did lead the raid. Like you know, Ali is not wrong on the sort of one tracked mind, you know, attitude uh, that he has. So you know, from his point of view, everything looks bad and, you know, he just doesn't know how to deal with these emotions and therefore, you know, he's willing to act out with the violent parties that are still, you know, amongst the watch and, you know, no matter what Sam and John and, and whoever does, there's there's really no saving that character. Um, you know, not really at all, be, just because of the, the trauma that he's been in. Um, you know, so it, it's one of those things where you know, maybe, maybe if it wasn't such a, a dark time and the, you know, Night King was out there and they had time to sit him down and educate him, uh, you know, he would have basically, uh, you know, had a different outlook. Uh, but they don't have time and they can only have these quick conversations, try to explain it the best they can. And at the end of the day, it's it's just not enough for Ollie to overcome.
0: Unfortunately, yeah. And it's a great cut. It's a great segue into, again... Oh, yeah. What do they it say? Up. It's
1: like oh, what's Sean up to? <laughs> yeah, know, and then like it just his
0: his grim, solemn face that he's just adopted as they sail into Hardhome. I, I love the way that it's shot. I love the scenery, the way that it's like kind of, you know, this small little harbor town and cushioned amongst this giant mountain range. You know, there's there's the feeling when you get there. And I don't know, I mean, I, like I said, it, it's one of those things where, There's this thing that I listen to on the rewatchables where they say uh, this this idea of kind of, you know, a twist aging badly, but not the twist itself being bad. The feeling of the oh shit moment that you get after the fact and. If you're going to, you know, get that oh shit feel, you know, now knowing what's going to come next. And I will admit there's a little bit of this feeling because I remember the first time that I watched this episode, I didn't think anything was, was going to come of it. You know, I didn't know what was going to happen next, but I just, I didn't think anything was going to come of it. You know, I, f- I figured if anything, there was going to be more just tense standoffs between the Night's Watch and the Wildlings. You know, in no universe was I expecting for there to be an imminent attack that just comes out of nowhere like that. Like in hindsight, the logistics of it where it's like, okay. How would the White Walkers have amassed a force that quickly? How would they have snuck up on them that quickly? You know, so the, there's a little bit of logic apps in there if you really, really want to nitpick, but like just this kind of feeling of just ominous something is about to go down as they're sailing into Hard Home. You know, well, I,
1: I, I think you could easily explain away how they amass an army. Like the White Walkers have been there for, you know, five seasons now. Right. You know, we're pretty much at the end of the season. So they, you know, people have been dying, they've been raising them. They've been sort of hidden away, you know, way beyond the wall. And they're waiting for their perfect moment to strike. And, right. you know, here it is. Like, you have the broken wildling army uh, at hard home, which, you know, is a mountainous position. And you would think it would be very defensible. Uh, but as we prove in this sequence, right, uh, it's not really that defensible against the dead. Right. Because, you know, midway through the sequence... Uh, you have zombies jumping off the cliff. Literally, and- no, not
0: not even jumping, not even jumping, running, just straight up running yeah, off the cliff. You know, yeah. But they,
1: they tumble all the way to de- the ground, and then moments later they're back right, up ready to fight. Yeah, so the, the fact is, you know, what would seemingly, and I, I like the visual of this, you know, a little nice hard home fort that's uh, backed into the wall, seemingly very defensible, Uh, You know, it's just the nature of the dead is that, you know, they could overcome this with ease and it actually becomes a death trap for those that are living.
0: Exactly. It also, like, I I love as well, too, kind of the way that, like, it kind of, like, plays around with you where you have this tension coming in where you think it's just going to be between the Night's Watch and the Wildlings, and then you have, like, kind of this brief moment where you have the discussion, and then the discussion surprisingly goes well, you know, even though the Fens and a bunch of others decide to stay as well, and then they all, uh, oh, you yeah. know, and the, then and this then it happens secret, as man. they're leaving. It's, it's great. Like I said, it's, an, it's, it's a brilliant also, like, kind of existence of, like, because the other, the other, to me, reason why this sequence works so effectively besides all the other reasons that we said is it's just it's a great horror sequence. It's a great horror sequence. You just get that feeling of because what it is, is it ultimately is, I feel like the summation of everything that the show is saying, which is just this idea of there is no escaping kind of the inevitable. And in this case, the dead are the inevitable where it doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how many they fight. It doesn't matter how many they take down. The dead just keep coming and you don't know when they're coming and but when they do it's going to be scary as shit you know because the one thing that i will say like kind of when the snows loom in even when you see the giant like run, like like you know taking out the the, the dead one at a time it's like everyone says it's like you know this shit this is it this is the enemy you know this is the final enemy you know and there's there's something yeah, like and- really impactful that comes from that that realization
1: And I feel like they invoke cinematic history uh, with this, you know, sequence, uh, with the Night King and and the other White Walkers on the, the, you know, sort of mountain. Uh, Essentially, you know, the seventh seal right or is it the yeah seventh sign? yeah when, which one is to, it, it I, I i always i always confuse
0: my brain too i was trying to figure it out because i, I you, you're exactly right you i saw that shot when i watched the first time and yeah. i'm like what the hell have i seen that before you know yeah, so
1: so I, I always confuse the the demi Moore movie and uh, oh, the, God. The, the bergman movie <laughs> uh so is it is it the seventh seal? seven
0: seal seal is the bergman movie okay
1: good good because the seventh <laughs> sign oh, is God. The, the demi Moore movie oh, geez, I, I've for never some heard reason of that, but... yeah i always confuse those two uh, for some reason it's just so close in terms of the name uh but yeah the Bergman movie you know has the image of the characters in silhouette on a hill and you pretty much get that here with the night's watch and and so you know obviously the Bergman movie is all about death and in leading sort of uh the people that you know are, are going to the afterlife uh you know to their new destination um you know and and there's a lot more to it but more or less, that image is invoked here, where you have a little bit of a silhouette of the Night King and his men uh, on top of the hill, and you know, and evokes that sense of death is overlooking the camp. Yes. And you know, it's it's um, you know, from the first moment I saw this, I'm just like, oh my God, they are going full throttle with this sequence. Uh, the planning, the replanning, just the 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 touches. They're at the top of their game. Uh, With this sequence and you know, it's like you said, it's a very scary sequence Um, It really amps up what the White Walkers are and the shoe drops, right? You know, like I talked about with sci-fi, you know It's always that moment where you have this ominous lingering threat You don't really know anything about it and then let's give you all the details all at once and Show you how scary this really is and after five seasons of watching this show And just, you know, in 30 minutes, you get the full picture of why you should be scared and why you should be dropping everything, uh, you know, all the inner office politics, all, you know, the problems, and you should just be focused on taking out the Night King.
0: The other thing, too, that the sequence does as well is it kind of shifts up what we come to expect from Game of Thrones from a battle standpoint, because really the only thing that we the only experience we'd had with battles in this point with the first four seasons were kind of the one-off battle episodes where the entire episode was going to take place in one setting and just be a battle from start to finish. But even in those episodes, you know, Blackwater and the Watchers on the Wall, of which I'm referring to, even those episodes, you saw the breaks, in between the tension you know like obviously you know you got to a certain point where it didn't stop until the end but there were still breaks in between the tension you know, there was a little bit of setup a- a- in order to kind of like ease you in this is kind of like a little bit more of the new school of action filmmaking of action slash horror sci-fi filmmaking where it surprises you once it starts and then it just doesn't stop like you think you're gonna have a moment to breathe you don't you are invested and your heart is tensed up from the moment that, that uh, the White Walkers slam up, from the moment that the snow settles in from the mountain, all the way up until you see John on the boat watching the Night King raise, raise, raise the dead. It's, it's oh, unbelievable, I, I, and it sets I, the precedent I, for the rest of the show. You see that Battle of the Bastards, you see that loot train attack, it's of war, you see that in The Long Night, and the bells, like, it effectively, again, it, they, this is the new standard for action filmmaking.
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, for the most part, when uh, Ollie and Sam's conversation kicks it over to this sequence... Like from start to finish, I'm I'm engrossed. Like, yeah, you know, obviously I've seen this sequence more than any sequence of Game of Thrones. Uh, You know, sometimes I'll just fire up, you know, uh, the streaming and and I'll go to this episode. I'll literally just watch the last half hour of this episode uh, just because I love it so much. It's so Um, good. It's so good, yeah. yeah. And, and, and
0: also, so, not, not to overwrite as well, because we've been talking a lot about the action filmmaking. Not to overwrite like the actual conversation that happens between John Torment and the Wildlings, as well, I, you know, after the brief comedic moment where Torment kills the Lord of Bones, which is just so awesome. Yeah, it's no, I, that like...
1: Yeah, that's exactly where I'm going because yeah. you know, well, when you they bring the character there...
0: back and you're like, why is this guy here? And even Torment is like, look, we, we have bigger things to worry about than this stupidity and nonsense. That, this is yeah, no, I, I
1: I think it's really great the two of them walking up, the Lord of Bones sort of confronts him. And, you know, uh, I can't really do a Kit Harrington, but what is it? He's just like, we're well, allies. We're, we're, we're allies, um, you know, we're, yeah, we're yeah. allies, I believe. Whatever I believe. his phrase is. That's,
0: that's my best Kit Harrington impression. Yeah, like yeah. I said, so,
1: you know, essentially, you know, he says the wrong thing. And Torment's just like, you know, keeps a straight face. And he's yeah. just like, oh, I hate you, John. Well, <laughs> and, well you know, I, also love, like, I also love
0: the first line exchange that they have when they first get off the boat where he's like, tell me, I'm a fool for doing this. He's like, we're fools together now. I love that line.
1: Yeah. So it, it's there is this very subtle back and forth of, you know, John is there and he's telling the truth. He's as transparent as could be. And Tormund's like, come on. Oh, man. my God. And it like, runs into the you know, same like,
0: thing later on when he does the same shit to Cersei at the end of season seven. And Tyrion gets this exact same look. He's like, you yeah, couldn't lie. Not once. You
1: couldn't do yeah, it just ex- once. It, it, exactly. And, and so, um, you know, it's just really good. Uh, to see how you know John throws this thing out there, and the Lord of Bones ain't having anything about it, and he just takes the the staff and beats him to death. And he's like, "We better talk," you know. And so Tormund is known amongst the Wildlings as this fearsome fighter, and you know he's not going to let anybody backtalk him, you know, even when he is you know allied with a traitor. You know, um, which is the case, you know, with his team up with John. Right. And so, you know, they have their meeting. And again, it's it's all about just the way that it's written. The, the whole like, you know, no one's asking you to forget you're dead. You know, I, 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 I haven't forgot mine. Fifty right. brothers and died, also, and but also death. I, I love like you the know? subtle
0: thing because you know he says fifty brothers and he does. And he's probably including Grant and Pip in that as well. But you know he's also talking about Egret too when he's talking about that. Yeah,
1: no, that's the main. We know as the audience the emotion right. behind it. Great bit and, of
0: dramatic irony right there.
1: Yeah, so he's lost his own. That's a hundred percent. He's just talking about her, but he's got to keep up the facade. He lost fifty men, so he throws that in there as the cherry on top. Um, you know, and the fact is like, what happened to Mance, you know, I killed him. And everybody wants to like take his head right, right there, and then and then
0: Tormund kind of explains it away. And the other thing too that I love about the sequence is it kind of like gives like these micro character arcs and setups to like these other two wildlings. You know, the new Fen leader, and then the, you know the, the random wildling woman. I don't think her name is ever said. Who like kind of is like well, you know, one of the voices of like. I'm assuming she's one of the chieftains of one of the tribes too. And they they kind of give those two like even micro little mini arcs that you know unfortunately resulted both of their deaths at the end. But like I I, I kind of like what they end up uh what they end up oh, doing yeah, It's there
1: fantastic. Well. Like uh, her character just like focus on her children, you know, even in this scene with John, you know, and, and Tormund talking to everybody, it's like, you know, you, your children will not even have children if you don't, you know, team up with us and fight. And so her storyline from the very beginning, even in the dialogue, uh, from what John says to her, you know, is setting her up, you know, for what happens. Like, you know, her sequence is that, it's basically her at the boat sending her children saying you better take care of each other you know and get on the boat safe i'll be right behind you and then her final moment is the the children of the damned right the walking zombies uh you know oh, 8 year olds so uh, good just so you know, good and and here's the thing that's crazy is that you know she's such a mother character that you know, when she these children, yeah, when these children come at her, she, she like hesitates and freezes and, and can't really uh, take them on. And, you know, I, I, it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's a great moment. Um, If I were to nitpick, I would be like, you know, hey, um, I I see, you know, blue zombie eyes and I, I know what zombies uh, yeah, are. I, I know, I know what um, zombies
0: are, you know, like, I, I don't I'm care not, what not, age I'm group I'm not falling are. for this, but again, um, I'm attributing that more to just the audience's, you know, very, you know, vast familiarity with the zombie genre, you know.
1: Well, yeah, no, and, and that's one of the things with like a uh, modern zombie shows, like The Walking Dead. Uh, you know, you know how much. You know how much zombie content is out there so even before even much. before The Walking Dead existed? Hell, even so be- how- <laughs> yeah,
0: before this show, Walking Dead only premiered a year before this show did, and you had a full, like, you know, 30 years of zombie content before that. Like the zombie yeah, so- rules were already very well established.
1: So Walking Dead is some weird parallel universe where no zombie shows ever existed. And also, like, you know, Frankenstein and Dracula and the idea of monsters apparently never existed because right. they- no one can fathom. You know make this connection now in game of thrones you know it's it's meant to be like a medieval type right. of thing where Fantasy you know setting, most you know very yeah much most people
0: no access to modern technology
1: no access to books our education right, right. like there, there's less knowledge out there and so you know the whole play of zombies and and this magical power and and whatnot can definitely be scary. It can definitely lead people to be frozen in their tracks. Um, you know, in in something like Walking Dead, uh, I just contributed to what I call the plot device, uh, sudden stupidity syndrome. And, you know, it, I, it's like the zombies in Game of Thrones, uh, the White Walkers, everything. Um it's really just perfect. It's scary uh, how aggressive they are, yeah. and you know people... these are not
0: like that. that. That's always the biggest nitpick that I have with the Walking Dead is I'm like those zombies are not like the rage things from Twenty Eight Days Later or anything like that. Those things are slow as humanly possible. There should be no excuse for anyone on that show to be killed by zombies unless they're like you know mortally wounded or anything like that. But these things, oh man, these things like take the rage virus yeah, it, from Twenty Eight Days Later and like it's a difference it up in style. 11.
1: Right, it's a difference in style, um, but you know, every time I'm watching The Walking Dead, it's it's more about the interpersonal dramas and and what they're doing, you know, in this kind of like post-apocalyptic universe. When I'm watching Game of Thrones, it's like, oh man, these are aggressive zombies, and if I came up across these, you know, I might not survive. And you know, it, it's it there's a difference there. Right. Um. You know, so I I appreciate. Just the choices they made in terms of how they decided to make these zombies, and the fact that they made them super aggressive, super scary, and you know, with sort of the end sequence where the Night King raises his arms, they made them pretty much undefeatable. And yeah. you know, it's like the whole rest of the series, we're thinking. Oh damn! Are they going to find more dragon glass? Are they going to, you know, have enough Valyrian steel? Right. Uh, is that even going to matter? Because you know, just look right. at how many of the dead he can raise. And do they even get close? You know. Uh, it makes you start thinking about is this like the vampire? Like, you take out the Night King and it removes everybody else. And, right. you know, obviously, that's like, is this a Phantom Menace syndrome
0: be. or is this a thing where it doesn't matter if you take out the lead one, you got to take out like every single other one of them, you know, in order to reverse it? You know, you can kind of play either or. The other fascinating thing about kind of the whole treatment of the White Walkers in this show is that it kind of brings zombies back to like their original form because for the majority of their canon within uh, media, the media space, you know, film, television, books, whatnot, zombies usually almost always originate from a place of science fiction origin, you know, a lab experiment gone wrong, a virus that gets out, something along those lines, versus here, this brings it back to where zombies, when they were first originally conceived, I think this is even pre-George Romero, um, zombies were originally conceived as like a thing that came out of witchcraft, essentially, which is obviously how we learn ab- about the inception of the White Walkers. You know, when we once we get into d- the Children of the Forest and everything next season about how, you know, if we're to believe the chronology of that one, the, the White Walkers were originally conceived as almost this defense mechanism that the Children of the Forest came up with against, um, you know, against the first men that eventually ended up growing way out of control. And so as a result, you kind of have this like sorcerous sickness. If you will, as well, where, you know, and that is again, is what almost makes the, this series, this entire series, I'm of the books in this as well, examination of magic. So fascinating, this idea of, you know, you have certain magic that's bad, but certain magic that's good, but it's all kind of interchangeable because you have one magic that involves, you know, burning and sacrificing to this red god and visions and stuff. But then you have this other magic that's essentially going to have, have, like... You know, you essentially, there's like a literal frozen walking corpse. And you're trying to figure out, like, which one is better. And you kind of have to, like, pick and choose the whole, like, you know, the idea of what what's better, you know, life or death in this case. You know, they're not necessarily great. They both kind of, like, have problems with each of them. You know, it, it kind of brings it back to, like, what it is, that the theme that Martin was trying to establish with his books, which is this idea of ice and fire. You know, you can't really have one without the other. The whole yin-yang process of it. And I love how, too, and I know that this is a nitpick, but I don't care. The White Walkers pick right when they're boarding the Wildlings onto the boat. Like right at that precise moment to attack. I know it's a nitpick and it has to do completely with story logic because they could have attacked at any moment. But I just found that funny where it's like, wow, talk about timing. They got there. They were there for how many hours? They had that whole conversation. They started moving the people onto the boat slowly but surely. And then they attacked. It's like, oh, man, it's almost like they were just trying to fuck with them. I, I just thought that that was funny. And I had, I had to point that out as well. I well, be- I I
1: think this might be one of those moments where, you know, having Brand not be a part of season five was kind of a big mistake, uh, because they could have easily had him, you know, have some training sessions throughout the season, and he could have almost been like, you know, oh, I gotta warn John and and. He tries to reach out and you know go to hard home and yep. and reach out to him and then you know that's the we see this in season six where the night king sees bran in a vision it could have been like he sees him at hard home trying to reach out to you know uh, basically his brother and you know then the night king could have moved his troops and you could have done things to to like you could have added that to amp up a little bit of the mystery um you know of Bran's character and the connection with the Night King and also let the shoe drop about the Night King and just how much like you know powers he has you know I guess you know I I wouldn't necessarily um 100% be in with that change just because I think this episode is is as perfect as it's going to get um but ultimately you could have uh, you know, uh, gave us just like a, a little bit of the brand morsel this season, right? Uh, to make it, it happen, didn't need
0: to, to be there every connect. episode, but there could have been. It could have been there enough because the other thing too, also, and I know we talked about this a lot on the first episode as well as on you know the last episode of last season, is that the other thing too that this season does by cutting out brands are brand completely from this season is it kind of short changes his training sessions with the three I Raven because for the most part, those training sessions in the next season are pretty awesome, and then they're only in it for like a couple episodes, and then boom up another surprise attack and now the three-eyed raven's gone too you know it's like oh wow yeah but you know
1: dom you and i have complained about more scenes in this season than i can remember uh you know that's true um, that's true you know so can you just imagine if one of those scenes was cut or uh several of those scenes were cut and we had some cool brand action it didn't really necessarily need to be like you know moving you know radically that storyline forward uh, right, but just, just give us a little taste exactly, just of something. that magic, you know, world building we're talking about, you know, getting us ready for the next couple of seasons where magic plays more of a role. Um, you know, I, I would have appreciated that a little bit more than uh, some of the lackluster scenes that we got.
0: 100 percent. 100 percent. I love how, too, that they emphasize that the dead are coming with the dogs barking and everyone looks up. And I just love this slow look of realization. And everyone is like, oh, fuck, you know, and then close the closed. gates, close oh, the gates. It's and- great. It's so oh, so great. It's amazing. I don't know how much lo- more <laughs> we can gush about this. All I can say is, like I said, we get the introduction of one wag one dar one in this season as well, who he doesn't have that much screen. I mean, he gets a couple good moments in before his unfortunate untimely death in the battle of the bastards. I, I, I love that as well. And I love I love the scene too where um they're they you know they're running for the uh, just it's oh, it's so good where you see the dead, they, they pile off and, and then they crush the gate and they're running towards it, and you see John Torman and Ed barely making it to the boat just in time. Um and then uh, what's called and then you see the giant like you're worried you're worried for a second you're like oh no are they gonna get the giant and then he just walks into the water too and just walks with them and I'm like okay oh thank god you know you, you, you get to breathe a little bit I thought that was cool also one other big moment that I also completely forgot about that we almost skipped over is John's fight with the white with the white walker when they're attempting oh, yeah. to no, 100%. When, when they're trying to get the glass because this is the first moment that also reveals okay so now we know that there are other things so obviously you know we had the fire with the whites we knew the dragon glass worked in the walkers but as well we now also know that valyrian steel works as weapons against the white walkers as well you know
1: yeah and and you know that sequence is really well done because yep. they, they go in there um what's yeah, his john, face john and the Fen yeah the Fen. so he he goes in there uh and it's like you find john just go right. find the and dragon. It's a great guys.
0: moment too because like the Fen had already previously refused john's offer saying you know that's our enemy you know that'll always be our enemy we can't trust you but in that moment like they kind of realize they're like yeah okay you know we we got No, hundred percent and, Amazing. and
1: you know, the thing is, like, he goes to fight the, the White Walker, and within like two blows, the White Walker just takes him out. Like he blows up his weapon um, you know, with the magic um, you know, axe or whatever he has, and then he stabs him. And also, you know, I think
0: the White Walker's got an upgrade too this season. You know, they used to be kind of like in these shambling like clothes things, and now they're like full on suited up in armor. I'm like, God damn, they I don't know when they upgraded or how, but shit, they look good.
1: Well, it's probably just a uh, special effects upgrade or, or wardrobe upgrade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's wardrobe like we got to make we got to make them scarier. Yeah. Uh, but the fact is, uh, you know, John does find the dragon glass, but before he can do anything with it, uh, the white walker throws him off of it, does a battle sequence, seemingly cannot do anything to stop him. Uh, John is lucky to stumble out of the hut. Um, right. You know, he was hitting the chest with the back of the, the, Weapon, you know that he has, Um, and John can barely stand. And he finds his sword, and you know uses it to parry one last attack that the White Walker is sending his way. And you get that nice sound design where almost everything in the scene kind of echoes out, and you just get this like nice unrealistic wobble of the sword, just really uh, holding off that magical weapon of the White Walker. Yeah, Um, and I love the look of the White Walker's face. Yeah.
0: As, as he like, as he sees the, the block and he's like, oh, it's almost like he has a oh shit moment before yeah, John kills." Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So it's, awesome. it, it's,
1: it's the audio in that moment gets so hyper focused and into, you know, what's happening with the weapons and the fact that this is a significant moment in terms of like how you're going to fight the White Walkers. Um, really well done, really stylized. And John just quickly makes fast work with him, uh, and then he kind of looks up at the Night King, and that's that's when the Night King sends uh, the all second, the other the second force. Yeah, the, yeah the second wave over the uh, cliff, uh, and that's when they know they got to get out of there, and and the rest is history. Like we we um, get to see everybody get murdered at the end of the sequence. Like the zombies are finding yeah, they're people. They're still that are,
0: killing people. They're just, yeah they're they're, 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 just they're, they're checking
1: they're finding the live the living even the ones that are hiding amongst the bodies and and stabbing them and it's uh it's really gruesome and then you know as john's floating away it's like the raise of the arms oh. um and a little they
0: take like just an extra yeah. couple seconds obviously you know with the raising of the arms and everything and then you see the forces up and then you like do like the cut out to like show like the entire shoreline and like you see just how far how many bodies you know extended across the shoreline in order to just like really hammer the point home and as if it's like okay as if you weren't already aware of how screwed they were, you know, with the Night King. And I love how the Night King is just glaring daggers at John is like, Yeah, that's right, motherfucker. I'm coming for you next, you know. And it's just I love the and like as if that doesn't hammer the point home enough already. Just how screwed they are just how the like I said, it is like you said, the shoe is dropped They now know officially what they're up against. There have been ruminations. There have been hints up to this point. But this is the first major instance where they have an experience with the White Walkers. They barely got away with their lives. And now the stakes and the tables, whatever you want to call them, have been set for the rest of the show going forward. Because they now know who they are going to be facing with the ultimate enemy in the buildup to the Long Night. So that's it, people. That is Hard home. Officially, I think we can say it's safe to say one of the best episodes of the entire show. Easily for me, the best episode this season, one hundred percent. It does such a good job of nailing just what a force to be reckoned with the White Walkers are and what they're going to be going forward. We have two episodes left of this season before we get into season six: Battle of the Bastards and Winds of Winter time. So be sure to keep tuning in for every new for new episodes every single Friday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to follow my co-host here at Professor Patrick at patrick w huber yeah, at patrick W the- i i'm getting my terms mixed up all yeah, the time yeah, yeah. you
1: know I, I should probably at this point since he dubbed it the professor patrick uh or whatever it is i, I should, should pro- change
0: it to that honestly it yeah, yeah I, I should probably
1: do something with it but uh you know that's another story for another time at patrick w huber on instagram i'm sharing a couple things here and there i got a couple more things uh, that oh. i do, I, I do want to post uh, i'll just slowly put it out there into the ether
0: Excellent. Yes. And of course, follow myself at Movie Nerd Reviews and be sure to follow the official Talking TV podcast, uh, Instagram, Facebook, across all p- social media platforms. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Talking TV, and follow us on Twitch if you are not already. And as always, people, 12 seasons in a short film. Stay frosty and watch more fucking movies and TV. We'll see you guys next time.